whistleblower report exposing lies, deceptions, and all that has assaulted our way of life. We must take back our freedom and live as God designed in a free America that honors our Constitution and our Creator. Our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome to the Whistleblower Report. This is Dr. Lee for America, and I am here with a legal freedom fighter warrior, Andrew Shalafley, who is an attorney that I've known and worked with for many years on the medical freedom front long before COVID hit us. And we're here to talk about a number of important legal cases that affect your constitutional rights and your rights as a patient to bodily autonomy, your right to a physician-patient relationship without third-party interference, and your right to make your own treatment decisions. Andy Shalafley comes from good genes on fighting for our constitutional principles and the core principles of America. He is the son of Phyllis Shalafley, founder of the Eagle Forum, and now the group carries on her legacy with the name Phyllis Shalafley's Eagles. And Andy Shalafley files legal action on behalf of Phyllis Shalafley's Eagles, as well as he has been the legal counsel for the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. I've been a member of the organization organization for more than 25 years since I first came to Arizona in 1992. And he has been the legal counsel for AAPS the entire time I've been a member. So he has a long history of standing for physician rights, patient rights, and the physician-patient relationship. We have worked together on a number of things, a number of lawsuits that he initiated. He also helped with the legal opinions for a proposal that I worked on for Senator Johnson in May of 2020 with a proposal and justification for making hydroxychloroquine over the counter to improve patient access to this important and life-saving drug during COVID. And now we know many other benefits of this drug have been covered up by our government in the attempt to force everyone into the experimental COVID shots, which we now know were developed as a protocol by the Department of Defense, and yet were unlawfully mandated across the board for civilians and our military service members. And that brings us to the breaking news for this whistleblower report, at least the first case that we'll be talking about today. 
And that is the new filing on August 17th, 2023, with the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals for an en banc hearing before all 11 active judges on the 10th Circuit in the Robert V. Austin suit against the Department of Defense related to the unlawful mandate to force the military to take the COVID shots when all that was available were the ones that were produced under the emergency use authorization. There never was a fully FDA approved COVID shot. And when the military forced service members to take the EUA shots, they were violating not only the US constitution and patient rights, but they were also violating the Uniform Code of Military Justice and they were violating laws that Congress had put in place following the anthrax debacle 20 years ago when the military forced the service members to get the investigational anthrax vaccine. And later that decision was overruled in the case that Dale Saran and other attorneys filed. And that case was won in court in 2004. Following that, Congress passed laws to protect the service members from ever having this happen again. And lo and behold, they did it again in 2020 and 2021 with the COVID shot rollout. So here to tell us about this filing, this the lawsuit Robert V. Austin was originally filed with Todd Callender as the lead attorney in August of 2021. So this is now two years later. The case is still alive with this new filing. It was dismissed at first, and then Todd and the legal team filed an appeal with the Tenth Circuit. And on a three-judge panel, they ruled that it was moot after the NDAA ended up at the direction of Congress removing the COVID mandate. And so the DOD attorneys and Department of Justice attorneys argued that the case was now moot, which of course it was not, but that was a convenient excuse to get rid of a lawsuit that they never really wanted to hear in the first place because there's some huge issues at stake in this lawsuit. So here to talk more about this latest filing for all 11 active judges on the 10th Circuit to hear this case and why it is so important for especially the injured plaintiffs, those who got the COVID shot and were injured, they need their day in court. And all of you listening, please help us by putting pressure on your elected officials as that this case needs to get heard. And quite frankly, if it needs to go all the way to the Supreme Court, there'll be a lot of us helping support that to happen. So Andy Schlafly, Todd Callender has said that you have been a brilliant legal mind on this strategy for this lawsuit. I'm grateful to be working with you again 
and hearing from you about the details of this lawsuit. And then we'll spend some time in the show today talking about other cases that you and I are, are familiar with from your work with AAPS and your work to try and get hydroxychloroquine released from the national stockpile in 2020 in that project that we had undertaken. So thank you for joining us today on the Whistleblower Report. It's really my honor to have you. Oh, thank you, Lee. It's a tremendous honor to me to be on your Whistleblower Report here. You have a fabulous show, and I'm learning just listening to you here talk about these issues. So it's, it's a real joy and a blessing to be here to chat with you about these cases today. And I've been involved in about half a dozen of them various aspects. It's a really a travesty what the government got away with during COVID, and, and we're still going to be fighting some of these legal issues for many years to come. We don't want the government to ever do again what it did to us during COVID, and, and it's coming out now, the, the harm that the government imposed with its various mandates. And the first case you mentioned that I just filed a few days ago last week is in the military. And that's the dreadful mandate that came down from Biden and was issued by the Secretary of Defense that required all members of the armed forces to have this experimental COVID vaccine. And when people signed up for the military, they didn't agree to be guinea pigs, Lee. I mean, they, they signed up because they wanted to sacrifice for our country. And it's really admirable what these service members did in, in enlisting and defending our country, fighting in Afghanistan and other places. But then they were subjected to this mandate to have the COVID vaccine, which we see now how much harm that's been causing. The VAERS report has skyrocketed through the roof. And why were our servicemen victimized by this? They federal workers sued and federal workers won. They did not have to take the vaccine employees of large companies sued and they won. They didn't have to receive the vaccine. And yet our service members were told to do it or you're going to be discharged. You're going to be thrown out. Other bad things could happen to you. They acted like it was a military type of order for military readiness. And it wasn't. It was not justified on that basis at all. There was, well, you know, there in fact, Andy, speaking as a physician who's been treating vaccine-injured patients in my practice for, since the beginning of the rollout, I mean, I was seeing people injured pretty quickly after they started getting shots in January 2021. This, I, I am absolutely convinced with the data that was in the clinical trial reports that Pfizer had that they tried to cover up with 1,291 adverse events that stretched on for nine pages in their data, that they knew that it would be damaging to these young, healthy service members who were not at risk. They had less than a 0.03% of serious illness with COVID and practically zero chance of death. And I think this was, they knew that it would actually harm military readiness because of all of the adverse effects that were known in the limited clinical trial that Pfizer did, and they went ahead with it anyway. That's what makes it even more unconscionable, in my opinion, speaking medically. 
You're exactly right, Lee. And now we've got a recruitment problem in our military where not enough people are enlisting. It's the lowest rate of enlistment since we ended the draft 50 years ago. And people are scratching their heads as to why. Well, it's pretty obvious why, I would say. I mean, who wants to sign up to be a guinea pig for Joe Biden's uh, next uh, experimental vaccine? Well, and and they're they're humiliating the military and our core values at every turn. I mean, look at this absolute disgusting example of a four-star general, transgender, and it's all done to humiliate America's military code of honor, duty, and country, and the values, along with the fact that those people, people are seeing what's happening as a result of the shot. They're seeing the damage, people dying suddenly. They're seeing the military service members being mistreated. They're seeing the culture of corruption and punishment rather than the culture of duty, honor, and courage. It's not surprising that the recruiting is has dropped off a cliff. Right. So in this case, we had two honorable service members, a man and a woman, who challenged the COVID vaccine mandate that came down on them. The woman was in a pregnancy, and and we know that that's an additional risk for people to have the vaccine while they're pregnant. Uh, And so they brought a legal challenge, as they have the right to do, and and we pointed out that there are federal laws against giving service members unlicensed vaccines. And indeed, this vaccine was promulgated through a trick by the FDA emergency use authorization where somehow they finessed it and the result was that people were getting unlicensed vaccines. They weren't getting the licensed vaccine from Germany. They were getting an unlicensed vaccine here and that was contrary to federal law. In addition to possible constitutional rights and invasion of bodily integrity and the lack of informed consent, it just, this was not allowed by federal law. And yet there is the military doing it anyway because Biden is trying to score some political points with it. And we know how there's all this pressure by big pharma and the left to to go ahead and vaccinate everybody. We had New York City, everybody in New York City had to be vaccinated. And at one point we had the absurd situation where a Brooklyn Nets basketball player was not allowed to play the games in the games, the basketball NBA games in Brooklyn because he wasn't vaccinated, but he was allowed to sit in the stands because they didn't impose vaccination requirements on the fans or else people would have stopped showing up. So they said, no, you can attend in the stands if you're unvaccinated, but the players have to be vaccinated. So the player went and sat in the stands for one of the games. And and they're in the- How absurd is that? You know, you're more likely to spread it in the stands, yet he's allowed to be unvaccinated in the stands, which is fine. But as a player, you had to be vaccinated. And, and now, of course, we hear reports of these young athletes. I don't want to name any of their names because maybe they'll, they'll <laughs> some sort of privacy issue or something. But the, the Surgeon General of Florida has pointed out that, that several young athletes, basketball players, presumably in the prime of their life, presumably the finest athletic specimens in our country, and they're suddenly falling with cardiac arrest 
unexpectedly. And, and so the, this Joseph Lapido, the Surgeon General of Florida, he's the only one who's courageous enough in government to say, hey, this is wrong. This is probably happening because of the vaccine. These basketball players were probably forced to have the vaccine, and now they're having unexpected cardiac arrests. Well, that's exactly right. And in fact, it's happening to elite athletes around the world, soccer players in Europe, football players. I mean, look at the um, NFL and players that have collapsed on Lamar, DeMar Hamlin was one of the most um, incredible examples of someone who collapsed on the field and died. Fortunately, they were able to resuscitate him. And, and he has recovered in a miracle. But we're seeing young elite athletes every day dying suddenly. And they all of these player groups have mandated the COVID shot. So it's not rocket science to figure out what the sudden connection is. And yet everybody pretends to scratch their head in bewilderment about, well, we don't know why they're dying. Right. It's, and it's this problem that's called negative evidence, where you've got deliberate ignorance by government officials who push this vaccine and shrug their shoulders. Oh, we don't know. We don't know what's causing this. Well, they don't know because they're not investigating it. So you can draw inferences from negative evidence when there's no research done on it. And there's no one who's looking into it. You can draw an inference that, yeah, there probably is a connection here. And it's just that people don't want to find it. That's what's going on. I mean, somebody should be researching these athletes and there should be published papers about it. But there isn't. It's like it's an issue that's become an untouchable and no one dares talk about it. I understand that doctors are being scrutinized for their views on vaccines. Of course, we'll get to a little bit later here how these specialty boards are going after doctors who dare to criticize the vaccines. Medical boards are going after doctors who dare to question the vaccine, who wrote vaccine exemptions. So it's really, Lee, that the vaccine has become the sacred cow of our time, where no one is allowed to dare question it. And if somebody does, if there's any way to retaliate against that person, the medical board or a board certification entity or or a hospital, whatever, they will retaliate against that physician and possibly others too. So it, it's, we look at the candidacy of RFK Jr. for president, it's just kind of interesting. He's someone who, who tells the truth about the vaccine, and now he's sort of been ostracized. Biden won't debate him. And even though he's a Kennedy, we don't hear about him so much anymore. And it, it's, it's because the, the vaccine is the sacred cow. And the reason for that, Lee, is because through these controversial vaccines, and, and it's really not even a vaccine, it's an mRNA modifying product. But through these products, this is how engineers of the human race can get control of the human race and get control of our body, get control of our genetics, get control of our DNA, and it's through this process that the left is just salivating over the control that they can exercise with this. They almost controlled who was allowed to fly on airplanes. They did control the pilots. And of course, that's another thing we saw, and I was in one of those cases where 
United Airlines insisted that all their pilots and flight attendants and so on be vaccinated. And it went up to the Fifth Circuit and I filed a brief in favor of the pilots and the airline attendants and they were effusively grateful for what I filed. And we won that case that no, they, they can have religious exemptions like anyone else. But then you look at all the delays in the airports, Lee, and it, it's all of a sudden you read thousands, tens of thousands of people were stranded over a certain weekend because there weren't enough pilots and flight attendants. And no one will get it's because we of the had vaccine. five no pilots incapacitated this past week alone, and one died on the flight wow. from Miami to Santiago, Chile, and the plane was diverted to Panama City and was on the ground there for more than 12 hours trying to deal with the complications of all of this. The pilot, I'm interviewing pilots regularly, and I'm working with the lead plaintiffs on the American Airlines lawsuit and and the United Airlines. One of them, uh, Colonel Zitlow, is actually a legal defense grant recipient from the foundation to support that suit against United Airlines. And what the public doesn't know is that the government paid huge incentives to United Airlines. I don't know if you saw some of that in the material in the lawsuit, but the pilots that I've interviewed have presented the data on that. It's shocking. And United was one of the worst offenders among the airline mandates. That's exactly right. The airlines were given tens of billions of dollars by the government, by Congress. And in that key United Airlines case, the law firm that represented United Airlines was Jones Day. And that's the same law firm that represents the congressman there on Capitol Hill in D.C. So they were united, was using the same law firm that Congress uses. And that's uh, more than a coincidence, I'm sure. I did not know that. That's very interesting. Well, I'm glad that you filed the brief in support of them. And on the upcoming ones, we'll have to talk further about what we'd like to do in support. And perhaps that's something we can discuss. But back to the Robert V. Austin suit against the Department of Defense. Are there any other points that you'd like to bring out about that before we take a break? And then we can talk about some of the other lawsuits that you've been involved in. Yes, Lee. So the, the law is, is clear that the COVID vaccine was unlawful to mandate for service members. It's, it's not even a close question. It's open and shut. That was an unlawful mandate. So we brought that challenge. We had oral argument and so on. And the justices, judges, the three-judge panel on the Tenth Circuit asked some questions. They sat on it for months and months and months. Finally, in July, they said the case is moot, Lee, and they're not going to address the unlawfulness of the vaccine. They said it's moot. Because two things happened during the slow consideration of the case. One was that in December, Congress passed a law that rescinded the mandate for the service members. So surprisingly, Congress did something good 
And they overrode Biden and the Secretary of Defense and Congress rescinded the mandate. So the mandate is terminated in the military as of this time. So the court says that that makes this case moot. Well, not really, because Congress did not include back pay for the service members who were hurt by being demoted or, or kicked out or, or whatever, the service members who had to quit rather than get the vaccine. There's no back pay for them. There's no letting them back in. There's no restoring, restoring them back to their positions. Biden has been incredibly uh, stingy about this and dictatorial and is not allowed restoring the people who objected to the vaccine. So that's not moot. Uh, furthermore, one of the service members retired. And so the court said it's moot because he retired. Well, Lee, when you retire from the military, typically you're on call for many years. You can be called back as every service member knows. So the judges did not seem to realize that. They thought when you retire, you're done, like retiring from a job in corporate America and, and you go and uh, you go <laughs> to your resort somewhere and live out the rest of your lives. You don't have to worry about it. But no, in the military, you, you retire, you get recalled back if there's a need. And Biden has, has recalled some people recently because they can't recruit anybody, can't recruit enough people in the military. So those two reasons for mootness to dodge the substantive issues in the case we have objected to that. And last Thursday, we filed a petition for the full court, all the active judges to review this. And we're urging them to reach the merits of the case or remand it back to the district court so the district court can reach the merits of the case rather than dodging all this and pretending there's mootness when there isn't. And we don't want the government to do this again. We're hearing now, Lee, of strains showing up. And there's talk now of, of Biden reverting to all his mandates, masking and all that stuff because of strains of COVID. And we and need they've to... already announced it, Andy. They have wow. announced that starting mid-September, the masking requirements at airports are returning. TSA whistleblowers have reported that. It's come from multiple sources this past week. Mid-October, Every airline passenger will be required to wear a mask. And starting in November, December, they plan full lockdowns again. That has been announced on multiple sources this week. And we were bringing that out a year ago in the whistleblower reports, talking about the quotes coming from the World Health Organization, Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates, who were saying we expect another pandemic in January 2024. They're already ginning up the fear. They're already putting the lockdown policies in place. America must resist and the world must resist. That's right, Lee. And maybe it's because of the election. Maybe it's because Biden is struggling in the polls. That could be a factor too. I don't think it's any question they've gotten away with the election fraud in 2020 and 2022. No, none of the Republicans in any of these battleground states where fraud was proven, none of them have stood up to fight against it. And there's no question but what they haven't fixed the problems. And they're using exactly the same playbook 
that they used in 2020 to disrupt that election. I mean, we are dealing with this in our team every single day and getting reports from many sources about what the plans are, and they, they're using the same playbook. So the fact that you filed for the full court to hear this DOD case may be hugely critical to help stop what is already in the works. So I'm grateful that you and Todd Callender and the other attorneys on the team have taken such a strong stand on this. Our military deserves everything we can do to help defend them. They've volunteered their lives to defend our country and they deserve our support. They certainly do. And it's one of the finest projects that I, I've found the most gratifying of, of all my legal work, Lee, is to do something for the military to help these men and women who fight to defend our country. And, and for them to come into federal court and get treated by the court system, ducking their claims and not reaching the, the substance of them and so on, it, it's really appalling. It is. And I. it's been my honor to set up our Military Advisory Council and the, the Medical Freedom Legal Defense Fund with a lot of donor support. We've been able to give a lot of grant money to our military service members who really had no, no resources to fight for their rights. And we have done everything we can to help defend them when they defend us. This is Dr. Lee for America. We'll be right back after the break with more on the legal front with freedom fighter, warrior, Andrew Shalafli. Check out our website, www.truthforhealth.org. And if you have gotten the COVID shot and had a vaccine injury, please download our vaccine injury treatment guide with a complete roadmap to recovery and a systematic approach to getting properly diagnosed and an integrated approach to treatment. In addition, if you've been injured by the COVID shot, go to vaxdamage.org, fill out our citizens vaccine injury report so that we can help you find medical and legal resources to assist you. We will be right back after the break. This message is from the Truth For Health Foundation. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Sigloff, a family medicine physician and a major in the U.S. Army. The following are only my opinions. Service members are being coerced to participate in medical experimentation, with over 7,500 service members being discharged for refusing to participate, many of them losing their retirement and medical benefits. There are allegations that the DOD is committing medical fraud, violating the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and violating constitutional rights of service members. Strong men and women stand ready to defend so that you can sleep peacefully through the night. Now we must stand watch over the military so they can sleep peacefully through the night. Please get involved to help protect the military. This message brought to you by the Truth For Health Foundation. For more information, please visit truthforhealth.org. That's truthforhealth.org. That's truthforhealth.org. Welcome back to the second half of the Whistleblower Report. This is Dr. Lee for America with legal 
warrior on the medical freedom front, Andy Shalafly, legal counsel for the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons and a longstanding colleague of mine. We spent the first half hour talking about the Department of Defense lawsuit on behalf of the military and the unlawful mandate for the experimental gene therapy COVID shots. And now I want to talk with um, Andy about the legal efforts that that he has been spearheading with AAPS against the specialty medical boards that decertified physicians improperly as a as a punitive retaliation against the courageous physicians who were speaking out against the government narrative and against the suppression of early treatment that cost lives and against the mandates for the experimental gene therapy COVID shot. In addition, we'll talk more about the suit against the FDA in 2020 to release the national stockpile of hydroxychloroquine. So Andy, let's start with the status of the suit against the medical specialty boards. There were several suits in that one, and you filed it on behalf of AAPS and member physicians who were members of the specialty boards. I think it was family practice, internal medicine, OBGYN, emergency medicine. Am I correct? You're correct, ladies. That's not emergency medicine. So we sued ABIM, ABFM, and ABOG. And those are three of the biggest specialty boards. And what they threatened to do is retaliate against physicians ABIM has followed through on its threat. That's the American Board of Internal Medicine. I believe that's the largest specialty board. And it's really terribly unfair that physicians who earn their board certification, you earn it through taking an exam, you pay a fee. It's kind of like getting a diploma. And now ABIM is basically reneging on that and retaliating against these physicians who, who dared to question some of the claims about the COVID vaccine, which we've since learned does have issues with it. Uh, and these physicians who are terrific physicians and serving their patients, there's nothing wrong with the quality of their care. There's nothing deficient about their medical knowledge. Uh, they fully earn this board certification. They're facing revocation of those certifications simply because the powerful pro-vaccine lobby is demanding that ABIM retaliate. And we have not gotten discovery yet of all the communications that ABIM is getting from the pro-vaccine lobby. Some of them are politically driven. Some of them are financially driven. But we are seeing news items here and there that ABIM is benefiting financially from the vaccine or from uh, retaliating against physicians. And so we're working on multiple fronts on this to protect these physicians and their patients against this unfair retaliation by ABIM. ABIM is not a governmental entity. Uh, they pretend to be, and they've gotten themselves written into state laws as though they were a governmental entity, and we think they're state actors, but you don't get the governmental accountability that you get from other entities of government. So they, they uh, are acting in ways without due process, 
without accountability to the voters, without answering questions, without being subject to FOIA requests, as government is. And they're getting away with a lot. Uh, and they're laughing all the way to the bank. So we well, and aren't they to, really yeah. a private corporation? Well, they are private, uh, private nonprofit, but they're run like a business. And as I say, they've gotten themselves ridden into numerous laws so that they act like they're part of the state. They act with the power of the state, but then when you challenge them on it, they say, oh, no, 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 we're just a private organization. We can do whatever we want. Well, the trouble is when a physician loses his or her board certification, then they lose their medical staff privileges at the hospital. So when their patients end up in a hospital, they can't be seen by their own physician because that physician lost his or her medical board certification. Uh, insurance plans kick them off insurance plans. So there's a chain of events that happen when someone loses their board certification by this entity that's accountable to nobody. So it, it's really kind of a loophole in medicine that, that an entity that has no political accountability, they're not part of any university. Universities have some standards. They're just out there making money off this board certification. Now they're abusing their power by taking that away from physicians they don't like. And may, they may be making more money by doing that. Someone may be paying them to do this or to retaliate in some way, if not specific to certain individuals. It, it's possible they're getting money. Nobody would know because there are no, the laws against conflicts of interest and so on that apply to the government, ABM claims it doesn't apply to them. So you go up on an appeal panel before ABIM when a physician has his or her board certification wrongly revoked and the appeal panel, they say it's an independent panel of three people. Well, one of them is a member of the board of ABIM. And, and I'm looking at these sentences, they say it's an independent panel. And then the next sentence they say, well, one is a member of our board. Well, how is that independent? So Lee, it's really a travesty that's happening with these revocation of board certifications and, and patients out there the bottom line is what this means to you is that when you or me end up in a hospital and we ask to be seen by our physician, our physician won't be able to see us because our physician got kicked off the staff of that hospital simply because they lost their board certification by this entity in Philadelphia. Well, and that is a that's a hospital policy that is not necessarily a requirement for good medical practice. It's something that hospitals put in place. And they when you look at the financial incentives for hospitals and you look at the sham peer review and you can talk about what that is for our listeners and and that is used as a way of intimidating physicians who ask questions, who stand against the pressure to follow a directive that may not be in the patient's best interest. And then you look at the way in which coercion comes into place with the board certification. It used to be that you could have a general practice license and still practice at a hospital. And now, uh, particularly since Obamacare went into effect and even more controls went into place, the hospitals 
buy up physician practices. The physicians are employees of the hospital. They're subject to all of the rules that an employee would have. And that in many cases interferes with the doctor's independent judgment. And then they have all of these additional requirements that don't necessarily improve the practice, the quality of medical practice. That's kind of it in a nutshell, as I've watched things deteriorate over the last 10 or so years that we've been fighting against government control of medical care with Obamacare. That's exactly right, Lee. And indeed, hospitals do not have to have this board certification requirement, and some in rural areas do not. But another thing ABIM has been doing, it's been trying to get hospitals to write these board certification requirements into their bylaws and to require it from ABIM. And it's, it's hard to prove exactly how they're doing that. But over the last decade, all of a sudden, many hospitals around the country are suddenly requiring board certification as part of being on the medical staff. And no one seems to know how that's happening or who's really doing it. But there's so much money involved, Lee, that, that there's such a, a financial reward when these requirements get written in because now all of a sudden all these physicians have to pay the fees to ABIM and jump through the hoops there and, and get board certification from ABIM in order to be on the medical staffs of hospitals. So this is really a racket in our country, which is supposed to be a free market system. If you look at areas of our economy, which are free markets, such as smartphones and computers, you have these advances every month. There's something better coming out. There's cheaper prices and so on. But in medicine, we don't have that free market. Instead, we have some powerful entities that are working behind the scenes to get as much control as they can for their own personal profit. And there just needs to be more uncovering of what's really happening here to cause these interferences with the free market in medicine. Well, and you know, Andy, when we were all working together to try and stop the government takeover of, of healthcare in 2010 under Obamacare, one of the editorials I wrote at the time, free markets in medicine are not broken, as the Democrats like to say, they aren't allowed to work. And that's exactly right. There's too much government and state and federal and third party insurance companies and hospitals and the medical boards. All of these other parties are interfering with the free markets in medicine and driving up the cost of medical care unequivocally so that it, it makes it extremely difficult for people to have medical freedom in their physician patient relationship. But it also makes American healthcare much more costly, as you know very well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And maybe we should talk a little bit in the time we have left, Lee, about our lawsuit at the very beginning of COVID to try to open up access to hydroxychloroquine. So the <laughs> FDA received a, a gift of 100 million doses of hydroxychloroquine through the generosity of some foreign pharmaceutical companies to help address COVID in its early stages. And what 
the government did, those agencies in D.C. that feel they're above the law, they simply put those in a warehouse and never distributed substantial amounts of them. I think they distributed small pieces maybe to some governments. But basically, those doses of hydroxychloroquine never got to the people so that we could use it as a prophylaxis or as a treatment for COVID. And so COVID raged in our country and Americans were not able to get the prescriptions and the access to hydroxychloroquine, which nearly everyone else around the world was able to get access to. So- No, you're exactly right. You go to Vietnam or you go to countries in Central America and you found that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin were available in the grocery store because they've been known to be safe for many decades. And like aspirin, even probably safer than aspirin. So these other countries, when people got COVID, they could go to the grocery store and get access to hydroxychloroquine ivermectin, but not in this country. And in this country, doctors were were terrified by licensing boards and the FDA against prescribing for ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. We filed a lawsuit in 2020, the early months of COVID, to open up access to hydroxychloroquine, and, and the courts instead uh, sided with the, the medical establishment and the, the people, the anti-Trumpers and so on, and people who, who didn't want to admit that hydroxychloroquine might help. And that stockpile of 100 million doses was never released to the American people. And no, you're, yes, it, it was a truly a, an absolute unconscionable act that cost many, many hundreds of thousands of needless deaths that could have been prevented. Because you and I were working on that in March and April and May of 2020. And we were one of the people who was involved in suppressing hydroxychloroquine in direct, absolute direct opposition to the directives from the President of the United States and the Secretary of Health and Human Services, who directed that that stockpile be released to doctors and hospitals and clinics across America. And Senator Johnson was working on it, and we were working with him on that. And that was Rick Bright, who issued that FDA ruling in late March of 2020, restricting hydroxychloroquine to inpatient use only on a clinical trial. And it was after that order from Rick Bright that the FDA issued that then you moved forward on suing to get the hydroxychloroquine stockpile released. And you and I worked on the legal justification that you provided for the proposal that through Senator Johnson, I spent time working on to submit for hydroxychloroquine to be over the counter. And it is, it's not only safer than aspirin, hydroxychloroquine is safer than Tylenol, proton pump inhibitors, and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, Aleve and Advil. It has one of the best safety track records of any drug in FDA's history. So all of this is was 
absolutely costing lives. And the fact that the lawsuit that you filed didn't go anywhere is even more despicable. Yeah, if you look at the data now, Lee, and you can look on worldometers.com, and you can see the United States had one of the highest mortality rates from COVID and one of the highest contagion rates from COVID in the world, and that the poorer countries did better than we did, even though we spend probably 100 times more on healthcare in our country than in some of the poorer countries of the world. The poorer countries did better. Because they had access to hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. That's right. It's exactly right. India put on the, the government of India, the Indian Medical Research Council, put on their government website in March of 2020 that the recommendation from the Medical Research Council of India was that all healthcare professionals took hydroxychloroquine 400 milligrams once a week for prophylaxis and high-risk patients were also recommended to take that. I copied that protocol off of the government of India's website and put it on my website in March of 2020 and started using that for our patients here. And that was being done around the world until the global elites pressure started suppressing treatment, early treatment in these other countries, but predominantly the wealthy Western countries that were the target for the experimental COVID shot. So they were suppressing early treatment to force everybody, terrify everybody to get the COVID shot. Right, that's exactly right. And you look at some of their studies, I did a deep dive when the FDA started to disparage hydroxychloroquine and FDA would cite a study and, and it was just ridiculous how they distorted these studies, Lee. They, one of the studies, they didn't start giving hydroxychloroquine until an average of something like 16 days into COVID. And then they claim, well, it didn't really help. Yeah, because you waited 16 days. Right. The virus. And everyone knows it's early treatment is what was needed. And if they did a study of giving it to patients in the first, second, third day, and so on, early on in the treatment, then they would have seen the tremendous benefits of hydroxychloroquine, as many studies have proven since. Well, exactly right. And I was treating all of my patients within the first three to five days of symptoms and in combination therapy that a lot of us were using. And no one from my practice went in the hospital and no one died. Because early treatment works, but people were denied access to it. And there again, the specialty boards were playing a role in, and the medical boards state by state were sending out orchestrated campaign letters, all of, with the same essential wording, threatening doctors for prescribing hydroxychloroquine and using early outpatient treatment. My... My own internist in Tucson said, well, we're not allowed. Our administrator told us we're not allowed to prescribe it. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I didn't say it to my own doctor because in a sense, he, it wasn't, there wasn't any point, but because he had made his decision to comply with the administrator. But I thought to myself, 
no bureaucrat is going to tell me what I can prescribe for my patients and people let people die on my watch if I can help it. Wow. God bless you, Lee, for standing up for patients. Now we It was outrageous. It was outrageous. Yeah. And I, I was furious. You know, Andy, it didn't take me five minutes in February to look up SARS-CoV-1 and look up and find out that Fauci had published their studies in 2005 in the Journal of Virology from the NIH. Studies they did in 2002 and 2003 with SARS-CoV-1 that, that chloroquine and, and sister drug hydroxychloroquine were powerfully effective against SARS-CoV-1. And by then we had the information that SARS-CoV-2 shared about 80% of the viral genome. So it didn't take a rocket science to figure out, well, they already knew this, that it was effective against this virus. It stopped the virus from entering the cells and it stopped replication. Right. So any, anyone with clinical judgment had the right to prescribe it off label. It was an FDA approved drug. So uh, your lawsuit was extremely important in 2020. And again, it just shows how we are really struggling with the facts that the courts are not ruling on the point of law. They are following a political agenda to follow the executive branch and the directives from the executive branch rather than the point of law. That must be pretty chilling to you as an attorney. Yes. Yeah, it's it's undermined the the rule of law in our court system. And it's it's been very distressing to see so many judges afraid to rule against that sacred cow of sort of the medical establishment, the Fauci, the pro vaccination, the big pharma. It, it's been distressing to see that uh, when it comes to these issues, courts are are very reluctant to rule against those powerful entities. And that's how socialism can creep into our country, Lee. I mean, that's how we can lose our freedoms through this, this trap door of medical tyranny. And I think that's the design. Ronald Reagan warned about that, that the first step to socialism is controlling access to healthcare. And you and I know all too well that every totalitarian government in the modern era has done exactly that. The Soviets, Nazi Germany, communist China, they've all done exactly that. And we were all warning the whole AAPS organization has really been a strong advocate for medical freedom and for the physician patient relationship as the voice of independent medicine since 1943, and you have represented, how many years have you represented AAPS as legal counsel? Well, I've been with them for about 30 years now. That's we what I thought. Back to our, yeah, our fight against Hillary care. No, that's it. That's exactly right. And Hillary care, the secret task force in 1993, it was AAPS that sued under FOIA to get that information released so that when 2010 came around, we knew what they were planning. 
Well, Andy, it has been my privilege to be working with you all the years. I've been a member of AAPS, and it it definitely is my honor to have you talk about all of the court cases that you've been working on in the COVID era, and just keep up the fight and let us know whenever you have legal issues that you would like to get out to the public. This whistleblower report is an initiative of Truth for Health Foundation, public charity, and a human rights defense organization. So this is our voice for the public to help expose the lies and deception and the assault on freedom and on God's gift of life. Do you have any closing words for our listeners? Oh, Lee, I appreciate so much what you do and informing the public. And I feel that that information that you provide to get it out to the public, that's where we have the biggest need for the public to become more informed about the value of medical freedom. The fact that you can get stuck in a hospital today, 2023, United States of America, and lose your medical freedom, whereby the hospital prohibits you from getting access to life-saving medication. Uh, It's terrible. We've come to this point. If you go back 50 years, hospitals were, were oases of goodwill and good Samaritans and people who are trying to help. And you fast forward to today and it's, it's the islands of tyranny today. And we had a number of lawsuits, Lee, where patients in a hospital with COVID could not get access to ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine as prescribed by their physician. The hospitals were blocking that. And appellate courts have upheld the power of hospitals to interfere with access by patients to life-saving medication. So we need an informed public, Lee, and you're doing a tremendous job in providing that, that service to the public. Well, thank you, Andy. And we have needed lawyers to help on that front. We were very much involved in hospital rescues and helping patients trapped in hospitals get legal help and trying to stop the hospital homicides, which is what they became, and doing press conferences to expose this evil. And I'm shocked that the appellate courts have upheld the hospital's right to intrude on the patient's legal right to request medication that's FDA approved. So the fight isn't over. And for all of our listeners out there, go to truthforhealth.org, sign up for our email alerts, and be part of the solution. Stand against evil. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said at the time of World War II. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Act in courage. Stand against evil. Join our crusade. We are silent no more. And if you can, donate to support our legal defense grants and our continued fight against medical tyranny and the assault on your life and freedom.